Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, and we are once again talking about the topic of reloading or handloading for precision for your bolt-action hunting rifle. So the first part in this series was episode 213. We talked about the basics of reloading, the very foundations, the overall process, the components, what you need to get started, both in terms of equipment and knowledge. In this episode, we're focusing specifically on brass, prepping brass, cleaning brass, reusing brass versus new brass, all kinds of questions on brass. As Steve and I had gotten into reloading, it's one of the questions that came up a lot for us personally. And reaching out to you guys, the audience, we had questions over and over and over again on brass. How do you prep it? How do you clean it? What's the difference, again, between loading new brass versus once-fired brass, for example? So we're back with Steve and Will from RCBS to talk about brass in this episode. It's one of those topics, and you'll hear us discuss this in the episode. You can make your process for brass very simple. You can go very deep into the weeds and get into all kinds of fine details. So we have a balance in the show of kind of diving deep and then pulling back and talking about the basics. Diving deep, pulling back, talking about the basics. If you lose it, if you're new to the topic of reloading, hang in there. It all comes together. This is a fun process. It can be intimidating, but once again, it can be very simple. So hopefully this is helpful for you. If you're reloading already, you may pick up some new tips. If you're starting to reload, you're no doubt going to learn a lot. And if you're interested in learning about the process of reloading, hang on. We might lose you in some parts of this if you don't have any experience yet. But once again, we'll come back to the basics. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in as always, whether it's these full-length episodes or it's our TSS episodes that we've been releasing here recently during the COVID-19 pandemic. We appreciate your support and your feedback. Thank you for reviews and questions and all of that. As always, anything you have for us, just send us an email. It's a podcast at exomountaingear.com. Right now, we're going to get into this episode, Precision Reloading Part 2, with the guys from RCBS. guys welcome back to the hunt back country podcast steve will thanks for joining us again absolutely glad to be here so to get right into it we had really good feedback from the first episode and i want to read uh, an email that we got from a listener that's going to kind of drive the direction of a lot of what we want to cover today so here's the email from this guy he says there's a lot of information about case prep of fired brass but what about case prep for new brass I'm working with brand new Lapua, brand new Lapua brass. What if anything do I need to do for case prep of new brass? Also, will my round shoot differently when the brass is new versus once fired? Specifically, I'm wondering about the differences in rounds that have been neck sized only, or maybe shoulder bumped a few thousandths with a full length size die. Will those ro- will those rounds that I load differ significantly compared to the rounds loaded on new brass? Um. So I want to answer those questions, but along the way, I think there's a lot to hit on there, um, especially for guys who are newer to reloading. To kick things off, 
let's go ahead and talk about dies a little bit. And um, Steve, let us know full length size dies versus neck sizing dies. As the name implies, it kind of describes what they do. But go ahead and give us an overview of the differences between the two, how they work, and when you might choose one over the other. Okay. Our full-length size dies are exactly what they say, full length. We size the base, the shoulder, the neck, set set the head space in the die. Neck dies, all you're doing is sizing the actual neck. We're not touching the body with our neck size dies at all. So... Why and when, for guys who are new, would you choose one over the other for, you know, specifically our application of bolt action rifles? For me, I usually recommend people go with a full length sizing die. Um, the point being that, I mean, full length's going to make sure that it sizes that case down to, to within those specifications. So that's always going to chamber in your barrel where your neck sizing die is just sizing that neck down. So it's that round's only going to work in that chamber. It could be. I mean, a lot of times if you're just neck sizing, those cases can be harder to chamber in your gun because it does have a tighter fit and the round hasn't been been sized all the way back down. Um, in a hunting situation, you want to make sure that they're always going to be full-length sized. I agree completely. I recommend full-length sizing just flat out. So for guys who may not realize, and it kind of goes back to his question a little bit, but if you're starting with brand new brass, that is within a specification to ensure that it can chamber within basically any rifle that's chambered for that cartridge, that caliber. When you then fire that round, that new brass, and your specific firearm, the dimensions of that case are going to grow somewhat depending on how your specific rifle is chambered and essentially now that case has been sized to your chamber and not to its original specification so by full length sizing you're then taking it back down potentially you know a varied amount based on your chamber how tight it is that type of thing you're you're taking it back down to a spec where it's gonna again as you guys mentioned ensure compatibility is that correct yes got it so um can you neck size? One question we got kind of related to this, but separate was, can you neck size, just neck size with only a full length die? Meaning if you take a full length die that you guys have to offer, but only run it partial through the neck, is that essentially achieving the same result as what you would get with an actual neck sizing die? Does that question make sense? Yes. Uh, and you can, uh, you know, you you can back out a full length size die just to neck size. Not really a good idea. You know, depending, you're only going to get a partial sizing on that neck. You know, depending on how far you back that die out. So, not really an optimal situation. Whereas our neck dies, we get them down as close as we can without touching anything else. We had questions as well, just in types of and preferred applications of case lubrication. And while we're talking about, obviously, resizing brass, that's a a good time to talk about that. So can you kind of hit on maybe the pros and cons of the different types, methods, applications for case lubricating as it comes to resizing your brass cases? Yeah, I mean, for me, the uh, I mean, I like using the spray lube. It's really quick. It's really easy. Um, I'm going to put some of the brass in. In a plastic bag, or keep it on your tray, and just if you're in a in a plastic bag like a Ziploc, just a couple squirts, and just shake it around. You usually get enough lube. If it's on a tray, you can 
kind of just sc- spray the different size and usually get enough on it where like a, a traditional lube and a pad, you're putting the lube on the pad and kind of rolling your cases on that or using a wax. You have to put the wax on each case. And I mean, to me, that, that spray lube is just a little bit easier than uh, a little bit more convenient than the lube pad or, or wax. It's a lot more convenient, plus it cleans up a lot easier. It does. Yeah, that was a question that came up as well as at what point, obviously, you're taking brass, you're resizing it. This is clearly happening before, um, you know, before you're throwing powder, before you're loading, before you're seeding, all that. Do you guys then immediately clean off the lube after it's been sized? And if so, like, say for that spray, you talk about it cleaning up easier. What's the method there? Are you simply just wiping the external um, case down? I typically will wipe it down just out of habit after it comes out of the size die. But I will also typically size my cases, prep them, then clean them before I load them. But I am actually wiping the lube off every time it comes out of the size die. Yeah, we'll we'll get into more of that cleaning case prep type uh, discussion as well. There's we had several questions that we had that hit there. Um, I'm curious while we're talking about dies, whether we're looking at full length sizing, neck sizing, part of that equation is looking at how the neck size neck is sized and setting neck tension. Um, can you guys go ahead and talk about, say, for example, your matchmaster dies, you have the different bushings where you can really set the neck tension to your desired um, preference, you know, based off of your case thickness, that type of thing. But go ahead and talk about the importance of neck tension and then guidance for setting that and selecting the proper bushing. Yep. So on the, uh, like the matchmaster dies, one of the big things that, um, that really plays an important role with coming up with those match rounds. I mean, being able to take that amount of neck tension on the bullet, it can affect your group sizes. I mean, some guns like a neck tension that's a little bit lighter, um, while some rounds and bullets like neck tension is a little bit harder, a little bit heavier. So being able to go through and and take that measurement and determine your, your different bushings, then testing out which bushing gives you the best results um, can make a big difference on a lot of the folks that are trying to squeeze as much accuracy out of, out of the rifle as possible. Um, and also, I mean, for, for like a hunting rifle, if you're going, I mean, where your guys is, where you guys are going hunting, you can put a little bit heavier crimp. Uh, you can control that neck tension to get a little bit more, a little bit heavier neck tension on that bullet. So, you know, your, your bullet's not going to set back in that case while you're, while you're trekking your, however many miles you're walking throughout the day or, or anything else. I mean, a lot of the PRS guys, they're on a lighter neck tension. They're not walking nearly as far. Um, and they can use a lighter neck tension. Where if you're still wanting to get the that mesh grade accuracy out of a die, you can choose a little bit heavier tension if you need to. The one nice thing also uh, about the Matchmaster dies with the bushings is once you optimize that neck tension, you're not using an expander ball also. You can just, because you're setting that, you know, that tension with the bushings, which is huge as far as concentricity of the round goes. So that in itself, you know, kind of adds to that, uh, that accuracy profile. Let's talk about setting up a full length size die. We talked about, you know, the differences between it and neck sizing. There's uh, benefits specifically for hunting, chambering to go with full length sizing. 
setting that up, you know, there's general guidelines of, you know, okay, let's screw this in until it contacts the show holder and then we'll make a, a fine adjustment from there. But to, to really look at it and set it up for proper headspace, shoulder bump, all that stuff, like let's begin to really talk about taking measurements and actually setting up a full length size die with your rifle, comparing that to, to, um, fired brass, that type of thing. So, um, one of the questions that kind of came up uh, that we read in the beginning from that um, feedback was shoulder bump. So go ahead and explain as we talk about resizing full length, what is shoulder bump? How do you measure it? What do you measure it? What are you looking for there? If you could hit that, Will. I'm going to say I'll let Steve take this one because I know Steve worked on our precision mics. And oh, he could probably he could probably talk precision mics much better and more in depth than I ever could. And they are a great tool for measuring, measuring your chamber and then setting up your dies. Yeah. And that's, that's typically, you know, we do make the precision mic so you can check headspace, you know, you can check free bore, but you know, as far as setting up a size that what we, what we recommend is to you're throwing the size die in a rock trucker press run the ram up, run the size die down till it contacts the shell holder. Lower the ram, give it another eighth to a quarter turn, run the ram back up. What this is achieving is what we call a cam over. And uh, that is essentially pulling all of the tolerances out of the press so you have a good solid lockup in that die. And at that point, you're going to achieve proper head space for that, ch- for that rounded to go back into any semi-spec chamber. So that's typically how we set up, you know, full-length size dies. So, and it can be that easy. Someone doesn't necessarily have to go through um, getting out comparators and doing the advanced measurements. Like, just the general guideline there is essentially enough to get you back within semi-spec and and still have good performance out of the rifle? Yes, we, uh, we ensure in our full length size dies that it will size that case to fit into any minimum SAMI chamber. So, you know, then like I said, having that precision, Mike, you can figure out off your fired brass actually where your chamber is set up. So is it, you know, the headspace four above minimum five, you know, in that, in that realm. And once you know that at that point, if you want to, bring that headspace back two thousands, there's a little adjustment there you can use to just bump that headspace back two thousands. But that precision gives you the ability to know what those numbers are. And so it's maybe for most folks overthinking it to go, I have to go back two thousands, like specifically two thousands, because that's a number I see even thrown around a lot. Um, it's a number that was kind of mentioned that question is being shoulder bumped a few thousands. Um, oh, just that that's a typical number, but you uh-huh. know, like what was touching on, you know, like hunting rounds, I mean, you may want to shove them back five. Okay. You know, you want to make sure that in a hunting situation, that next round's going to follow up. It's going to chamber, you know, without any incidents at all. You know, a lot of the PRS guys, you want to bump that thing back to, you want, you know, the tight, you want those cartridges as close as you can absolutely get them every time. But, you know, mm-hmm. you have those different situations. So every application is a little bit different. What would you say that 
man, I, this is like such a broad question. I don't know that there's an answer. Would most factory rifles, how are they chambered in terms of these tolerances, right? So, and how close, I guess, to Sammy? Because I know you get into the custom actions, custom barrels. You can even specify chambering and headspace and, you know, all types of variants there. But in general, for a factory rifle, even a higher-end factory rifle, do they remain pretty close to Sammy spec? Are they, you know, a bit a bit more open to be forgiving? Is there a general consensus there? Well, the the SAMI guideline is what it is, and that's how factory rifles and ammunition are produced. So it's SAMI, you have a minimum chamber. So that is the absolute minimum that chamber should be, and then their tolerances you know, go plus from there. Yeah, I guess my question is, do you feel that most factory rifles go further beyond that to be quote unquote more forgiving or anything or do you do they try do you feel like most of them do try and keep to that minimum and try and keep it um close to sammy as possible in in all my experience and i've been around a lot of rifles doing a lot of measurements they factory rifles are within those sammy specifications now the ammunition side of it seems it's a max cartridge condition with sammy They'll go minimum, but they want to ensure that those rounds are going to go in every chamber out there. So the rifles are closer than the ammunition is, the factory ammunition. When it comes to sizing and all all of what we discussed, are there any things in there that someone should know about, be concerned about as it relates to brass life, longevity, things you might do wrong that's going to... Um, you know, decrease that brass life or is the general process and set up and talk about sizing, proper lubrication, proper, um, you know, setting of the die. Is that essentially all we need to know? Or do you see certain things where brass life comes into play or is degraded because of uh, die setup or sizing? One thing we found in all the testing we've done for all the years we've been doing it, you do not attach case life to anything. There's just too many other variables. I mean, we we tried to, when we first came out with our X die, it's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to prolong the life of these cases. And they started leaving us at six, seven sizings. It's like, okay. At that point, we determined there's too many other variables that are involved, you know, with case life. So if we were to back way up, part of that question in the very beginning um, was talking about this guy developing a load with brand new Lapua brass and then asking the questions, will my round shoot differently when the brass is new versus once fired? And let's say for these once fired rounds, he is full length sizing them before he's loading them again. What is... What is the answer to that question? Will his round shoot differently with that brand new brass versus once fired brass that has been full-length resized? Just in general, I would have to say yes, knowing that the brand-new brass is such that the headspace is probably 10 or 15 thousandths short, you know, just knowing where those case dimensions typically are. So that first firing is going to fire form those, those cases to the chamber. So when you come back and full-length size them, they're going to be closer than what that new brass was would you recommend then 
doing load development on once fired brass versus new brass? Is there that much of a difference there? I've seen that much of a difference. Yes. It's a, it's just so interesting. All these different topics of, uh, I know it can quote unquote depend on your goals, right? Like the level of precision that you're looking for, the level of consistency that you're looking for, you know, one guy may develop a load on new brass and keep running that on, um, you know, fired and resized brass and may never notice a difference. And then you're going to have some other guy who's looking for a totally different level of precision who might go through, you know, a, a totally different load development process based on his goals. Right. That's part of the, Part of what you know keeps coming up as as you talk about this topic of hand loading, reloading, and load development is with all these topics, the answer is almost yeah, it depends, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And I was gonna say, and that can be a frustrating, it can be frustrating for a lot of people. Also, I mean, yeah. if you have a really good load worked up off your brand new brass, then you go and once fired, and you go, oh, something's something's off a little bit. What did I do wrong, or why isn't this load working? I mean, look at your brass and just make sure that hey, that's that's all the same. I mean, most time for my match rifles, I mean, I'll work up that that load off the uh, the virgin brass, and I'll know a pretty good spot where I'm at. But then I'll go spot check it with once fired brass because most of the time in those matches, that's what I'm running. I'm running once, twice, three times fired brass. So you just want to you just want to make sure everything's consistent after, and your loads are are working the way that you want them to. So let's talk about one of the things he mentioned um, was brand new brass. What, if anything, does he need to do for case prep specifically for brand new virgin brass? And I know, again, this is another, it depends, it depends on the person, their process, but maybe for each of you, go ahead and speak to the things that you either do consistently or just the things that you look for specifically with brand new brass before you're starting to to load, develop with it. Yes, I mean, I, I know you said earlier Sure. I know you said earlier the gentleman was using Lapua brass. I mean, that's really good, high-quality brass, so I'm not going to spend any time with Lapua messing with the primer pockets, deburn flash holes, or anything like that, but I'm going to run it through a sizing die and check it to make sure that the, the links the, is consistent if I have to trim it. Uh, but like I said, run it through that full-length sizing die and then chamfer into burr. If it's, if it's the lower-quality brass, I might put the time into the primer pockets, if I feel like it, I mean, primer pockets are one of those things where some people believe in cleaning them and they clean them all the time. And other people like me and Steve think it's kind of a waste of time to clean them all the time and don't really see any difference. But there are people that reload that that do take it to that next step and they make sure everything's clean, everything else. I mean, I can't shoot that good, so I'm yeah. not at that level. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I, I agree, you know, with everything Will said there, but... To reiterate, always run new brass through a full-length size die. You're, you're just making sure everything's round because it's just it's just one of those reassurance things. You know everything's going to come out. It's going to be where it's supposed to be. It's going to be round. Yeah. Okay. A, so lot it's, of, it's... a lot of new brass isn't necessarily pristine. Right. Okay. It's essentially performing your own QC, right? Your own quality control, your own assurances on that. Most of the time, probably, as you mentioned, especially with good quality brass like Lapua, it's probably in good shape, but it's just worth that extra QC on it. Yep. So go ahead. Let's let's talk about the different, I guess, aspects of case prep that we mentioned in there. Um, let's just go ahead and begin with trimming, right? So pretty obvious um, what 
case trimming is, is it's trimming it to a certain length. Again, maybe that's going back to Sammy spec or just below it. Um, when do you do that in your process? Um, say again, you're working through brass, whether it's once fired or it's after the third firing. I know again, it can depend on the brass you're using, even on your load, right? But when do you, do you trim consistently? Do you just randomly take measurements and look for it to exceed a specification? And then, you know, it's time to trim again for you guys personally. When do you make those decisions on trimming? I measure my rounds every time after they're after after they're fired and resized. I always throw a measurement on them, see where they're at. Okay, and is that like every one, or that spot checking out of a batch? Well, no, I'll I'll just spot check out of a batch because that batch of brass is all trimmed at the same time. Mm-hmm. It will all be trimmed together, so I'll just spot check it. You know, if they've grown four or five thousandths fine because i'm typically going to trim 20 below sammy which is a sammy spec so we're okay for another firing or two but i check them every time i I agree with steve on that i mean i check them all the time but i'm not necessarily trimming every time Um, correct just making sure that they're that they're consistent i mean and if they get outside of that maximum sammy sammy length then you have to trim them or you can you're gonna likely see some pressure spikes yeah, trimming okay. is very important. And we mentioned earlier um, chamfering and deburring new brass. Do you only then chamfer and debur once you trim brass? Like from there on out, not talking about new brass, but fired brass, you're only going to chamfer and tri- uh, debur that after it's been trimmed? Is that the general rule there for you guys? That, that's Correct. my rule. Because, yep, mine too. I'm going to say because after you trim it, you're going to have that square edge. So you want to chamfer and debur or remove any burrs. And then put that slight chamfer on the inside of the case. So, I mean, if you're, yeah, unless you trim it, there's really no need to go back through and chamfer to burr. You just need to do that one time. So it sounds like for your processes in general, that new brass and fired brass, your case prep isn't too dramatically different. Either way, you're going to full length size it. You're going to chamfer into burr the new brass or chamfer into burr fired brass that you've needed to trim aside from that do you treat new brass and fired brass any different along that life no no not really i mean it's it's pretty much all the same you know like i said you can get into some of the other stuff that will hit on earlier but they're they're pretty much the same prep go ahead and take us through um and this will probably get us to we want to hit like cleaning in terms of tumbling, that type of thing. But I would just like to hear to back way up. Maybe some guys have gotten lost as we've talked about all these different steps and topics. Take us through what happens after basically between you've, you've fired around and you now have a fired brass cartridge up to seating a bullet and like walk us through that process of, you know, at what point are you priming? At what point are you sizing? At what point are you cleaning? At what point are you checking the trim? Like all that. So just go like, you know, let's back up everything we've talked about and just kind of run through the sequence, if you will, of I just fired this case in my rifle and I'm going to have another uh, assembled cartridge again. Between there, specifically on brass, what does that process look like? Um, we'll maybe kick that off and then Steve, you could highlight the differences if there's any in your process. 
Sure, I'll, I'll start that. Make sure I don't don't miss anything. I mean, to me, it really depends if I'm trying to get primer pockets clean or not. If I've shot the round, if I've reused that piece of brass a few times, uh, say three, four, five times, and it's still good. There's no uh, case head separation or anything going on, no cracks. Then I'll actually deprime the brass first, so I can get some of those primer pockets cleaner a little bit. So I'll use the the rotary tumbler that's using stainless steel pins and getting everything really clean. Or if it's like a one time, two times fired case, I'll just run it through uh, through the tumbler, not really worrying about getting the primer pocket that clean. Uh, I mean, some people probably go, "Oh, that's." That's blasphemy. You can't do that. It's not the same. I mean, for for my level of shooting, what I'm looking for, it works for me. Um, but yeah, like I said, whenever you get those and you're trying to get it out, I run it through a decapping die before I'll run it through a sizing die. Um, just so, I mean, I don't, the decapping dies, they're a little bit looser, so you're not going to have a dirty piece of brass potentially scratching the inside of your die. That's the biggest complaint that I would hear from people and the, kind of the biggest risk if you're decapping and sizing before you clean is that you do run the risk of getting debris inside of that die where if you, it's a clean piece of brass, then you've kind of mitigated that. And so that's, that's kind of where I go on cleaning. After cleaning, after everything's cleaned, um, then I'll run it through my full-length sizing die. Um, after full-length sizing, I'll check it to make sure that the case doesn't need trimmed. If it doesn't need trimmed, then I'll move on to uh, the priming it and then seating the bullet. Um, and that's also assuming that, I, that if I did want to trim or uniform the primer pockets, deeper the flash hole, that I've already done that. And I would typically, if I was, I mean, you only have to uniform the primer pockets once and deburr the flash hole if you need to do that one time. So, I mean, after you do it once, you're pretty much done. Okay. Um, anything I missed, Steve? I mean, that was pretty oversimplified. Yeah, but it 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 pretty it is pretty simple. You know, I mean, the only thing I do differently is I won't decap. I just size. I will size, check length, trim if necessary, then clean, and then I'm priming and seating a bullet. And it's it's pretty that pretty much that simple. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it just it always comes back to it can be as simple as you want or complicated as you want. And it's, you know, it was interesting hearing the feedback on the first episode and then seeing a lot of the types of questions that came in from that. Um, it, you know, to some extent, it just comes down to your personal choice. There's no right or wrong answer. To some extent, it's, you know, it's easy to overthink things. So I just think it's always good to come back and look at, okay, here's a process that's you know, tried and tested and easy to follow and not getting too caught up in all the details, but just understanding, you know, a few important steps is, is good for sure. Um, you mentioned there will doing the wet tumbling, I think, I guess go ahead and hit the pros and cons of the different types of cleaning, right? So anything from a dry tumble to wet tumble to even like ultrasonic is another option that comes up. So kind of go ahead and discuss those three different options um, and the pros and cons of those uh, three different approaches to actually cleaning brass. Sure. So, I mean, kind of one of the most popular ones that's been around the longest is vibratory tumbling. So with that vibratory tumbling, it's really just polishing the case it's getting all the uh, the outside really clean and really polished. Um, you will get a little bit of the inside of the case clean, but it's really just just focusing on the outside of that case, putting a good a good polish and, and cleaning that off. Um, the 
after Sonic was kind of the uh, the hotness, if you say, for the case cleaning, probably uh, started about 10 years ago. Ultrasonics really came on and got popular. Uh, that's using kind of that ultrasonic action, the same thing that uh, your jeweler your jeweler would use to clean like your wife's ring or your wedding rings or, or any of that jewelry. So it's using these little ultrasonic blasts to uh, just kind of hit the entire case. So that's cleaning the outside and the inside. Uh, the issue with the ultrasonics is they don't really polish the cases. The, that cleaner will literally remove everything on the case down to kind of that microscopic level. So it's not leaving behind any type of polish. And then the rotary tumblers have been, um, they've really been the, I'd say, what, the last three to four years have gotten really popular. So those use a stainless steel pin media and then some type of uh, detergent or soap, and they clean the inside and outside of the cases. That stainless steel media does a really, really good job of removing uh, kind of all dirt, debris, carbon buildup off the cases, and when they come out, they're really shiny. Um, if you use an ultrasonic or the rotary, I mean, the biggest thing is with, with either of those, making sure those cases are completely dry before you go to load. And then in the stainless steel, you have to make sure that there's none of those stainless steel pins um, stuck inside the cases. So there is a there's kind of a downfall between that uh, that wet tumbling and just removing those and ensuring those stainless steel pins are completely out. What do you personally do for the drying process? So I personally, I just kind of put them out on a, on a pan and just give them a couple days, a week or so, and just make sure they're dry. If I know I'm going to be doing a bunch of loading, I'll clean my cases a week or so before I, I need to need to load them. Uh, some people use a food dehydrator. Some people put them in their oven on a, on like the lowest setting that will go kind of like you were uh, dehydrating uh, jerky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if my wife saw me put uh, grass <laughs> cases in the oven, <laughs> I would probably get skinned alive. Yeah. yeah. In Northern California, we have sunshine. I put them on, on a piece of cardboard and throw them outside in the sun. There you go. One other topic that came up in terms of brass, brass live, brass prep, all that is annealing, which again, all people that seem to be all over the place on, do you need to anneal? When do you need to anneal? Um, what are the benefits to that? And again, I think it also comes back to even sometimes the quality of your case, but go ahead and discuss what is annealing, um, when it might be necessary, how you personally anneal at all. And then maybe some recommendations on um, ways to achieve annealing if that's something guys pursue. There's expensive machines. There's services to send out cases to be annealed. There's homemade machines. There's all kinds of options. But go ahead and just hit the topic of annealing, um, the benefits, when you might personally go to anneal a case, that type of thing. I'll let you touch this one, Will, because I don't touch annealing at all. Right, and that's one thing that, I mean, we've looked at doing uh, different methods of annealing and, and bringing a product to market for our CVS. Uh, but there's a ton of liability with annealing. I mean, if you over-anneal the case, you're going to make it way too soft, and you're going to have uh, really dangerous situations. Um, I mean, the best people that use it, I mean, they're using, if you're using one of the homemade contraptions, or using Tempelac to make sure that they stay within the, the correct temperature range, um, I mean, the, 
the nicest machine that I've seen that that gives the best results and is the most consistent is the amp annealer. But I mean, that's also a piece of equipment that's I think about a thousand dollars. So it's out of the out of the realm of a lot of a lot of hand loaders. Um, I have annealed in the past, and I don't know if I actually saw a big uh, a big improvement on my reloads. But then again, I'm not I'm not the best shooter. But there are some of those those guys that are really high volume shooters that are annealing every two or three cases. And I mean, the process of annealing just as you size your brass, it work hardens, and then annealing uh, softens it softens that brass back up. So yeah, to to extend case life theoretically and save money because your cases last longer for most guys especially with an at-home setup it's gonna be an investment that you know maybe you could deal with shorter case life and and actually quote unquote not save money on case life but you're honestly saving money because it's an investment to set up to anneal properly and safely at home so as you mentioned even steve like you just don't personally do it you've been obviously loading for a really long time you just personally for your needs don't see the benefits um to doing it no i i don't and like i said back with case life again there's so many other variables it yeah it's something i've i've never done i actually personally don't see the benefits okay what's someone's argument for the benefit of it yeah it does it goes back to you know like will said you got to work hard in cases you're going to get those cases soft you may see improved case life but like I said, just in the years and years of doing this with the variables out there, I, I just personally, I personally don't see the benefits, but that wouldn't be the argument from somebody else. They probably are seeing benefits. So that's another one of those things that comes down to personal preference in your case. prep. Okay. So it's just about case life. Yeah. You're, you're just trying to extend the life of that case. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's some folks that will say that they get more consistent rounds whenever they anneal also. Um, but, yeah, I mean, annealing is one of those things that's kind of all over the board. I mean, there's some really good shooters that we know that, I mean, they're like, why do I need to anneal every time I pull the trigger? I mean, there's a bunch of really hot gases at high pressure going through that case. Isn't that kind of annealing itself? So, I mean, I, I'm not the not the expert on annealer. I'm sure no, uh, no metallurgist or or have any type of degree in in metals and heat and everything else. So I'm not the I'm not the expert to ask on it. Just kind of the things that I've heard from from different people. Right. Yeah. Absolutely not the expert on it. <laughs> but it's also it's worthwhile to hear your thoughts because both of you have extensive experience. And so for you, from your experience, say you haven't found the benefit or the need, like that's also helpful to know, right? So whether we get into the science of it or not, to relate it to most of us listening, um, being guys at home, just trying to hand load and reload and achieve accuracy and precision as much as possible with taking, you know, maybe the the least amount of work that truly matters. Um, you know, it's good to hear your perspective on it for sure. Yeah, and I would say the I main if it's a guy that's just using that's just shooting a hundred rounds a year, two hundred rounds a year. And I probably wouldn't even explore looking at it. You're not going to shoot enough out of that that rifle or those cases in a year to make it worthwhile your time or energy or effort. 
I mean, especially if you're seeing good results out of your hand loads as it is. Is there anything we haven't hit as it relates to cases, case prep, case life, case selection, anything on that topic specifically that we may have overlooked, not covered yet, something that comes to mind that guys might need to know? I mean, one of the big things that I see is, I mean, if you're using a, a pretty common caliber to make sure that you're using all of the same type of brass, it's all the same brand of brass. I mean, you might find people that are buying that have some federal brass, they have some Winchester brass, they have some Hornady brass because they've tried these different box ammos. Each one of those pieces of, each one of those brands of brass is going to have different, uh, kind of a little bit of different uh, composition and makeup. So, I mean, they will have a different case capacity. You will see variations if you're using the same load for those cases. So, I mean, that's one of those consistency things where you're making sure everything's the exact same. If you're using if you're using federal brass, make sure you're always using that federal brass for that load that you worked up. If you switch to a different brand, you're gonna have to check that load and, and make some changes. And also be I'd say the other thing is also be cautious of of once fired brass. I mean some of those places are range pickup brass. You don't know how many times those pieces of brass have been fired. They might call them once fired brass, but I mean the reality is they I mean, those pieces of brass could have been reloaded 10 times, and the guy that, that was shooting it just left them there because he knew that they'd been loaded 10 times instead of throwing away the trash can, just left them on the ground. So you always need to be cautious of using range pickup brass and just making sure that uh, that it's safe. So and one of the ways you can do that is checking, uh, taking like a little paper clip, putting a little bend on the end, uh, running it down the case and feeling for head and space separation. So that would be the like a piece of brass has been fired too many times, that case head will start to separate. And you can see, you can feel that, that little ring. It's kind of like a divot in the case. So you run that paper clip through the case. You can kind of feel it catch a little bit. Uh, take that case and use like a vice grip or a pair of pliers and bend it in the middle of the case so nobody can use it again and you won't be tempted to use it. You know, I guess that it would be helpful to hear in, uh, how you guys treat brass life personally. Let's say you start with, um, you know, a batch of brass that you've tracked, um, you know, the number of firings as you start to see any signs of, um, brass losing its life, whether that's, you know, separation, loose primer pockets, any of those signs, do you then kind of begin to retire that whole batch of brass? Um, if it has been tracked and used consistently, or you just kind of keep a close eye and, you know, take out those pieces that appear to have issues and try and get more life out of the others. How do you, how have you personally handled that? I typically, in my situations, I'm going to have a split neck or something like that. Uh, a lot, you know, my dies are set up for the chambers I'm putting them in. I don't typically will have case head separations. So, you know, and every time you're sizing the case, you're inspecting the case. So I'm looking for split necks for the most part, and I'll just toss those pieces out and shoot the rest until they decide they're going to split. Yeah, and when I'm seating a primer, I mean, you get really good feel of of what your tight primer pockets are going to feel like. So if you have been running a uh, little bit higher pressure loads and you and you start getting really uh, really light primer seating in there, I'll toss that case aside. Well, I know it again. It's, it's going to depend on the type of brass you're using, the type of load you're firing, all kinds of things. As you mentioned, going to case life. But if you were to like 
average it out. Like how many firings do you get out of most cases? Again, I know there's a spectrum here, but just an average ballpark number. That's wide open. Back yeah. to the case life situation. Uh, let me, I'll just throw out an example. A friend of mine had a, a 257 Roberts custom chamber, good dies, our dies set up for that chamber. He'd get three firings out of the case just because all the different variables. Now we have in some of our testing been able to get 25 firings, but it's not typical. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a typical situation, if you get 10, you're probably in pretty good shape. Okay. I, what What's your experience on that one, Will? It's about the same. I mean, it all depends. It all depends on the gun, the chamber, and the load that you're using. Uh, and I've had some some loads that, I mean, while I was working them up, they got way too hot and had some pressure issues. And I mean, those cases will last, like you said, two or three times. And there's others that, I mean, they're still, I mean, they're still going strong after 10 firings. Yeah, that's helpful. That's good to know. I, I've, you know, I've seen that come up quite a bit of if you're getting 10 to 15, like you're doing really good. Um, not that you're doing good, but that's really good case life, essentially, um, would be in that ballpark. So it's helpful to know. Well, fellas, this is uh, this is good. We'll, we'll get you back on. I want to hit load development. There's all kinds of other things we could talk about, but... I think taking uh, this deep dive and then just kind of summarizing die setup and case life and case care is going to be helpful for sure. So thanks for the time today. Well, that's a wrap on this one for now. Much more to come on reloading as Steve and I get into it ourselves. I am absolutely loving the process already. I'm testing different bullets and loads and powders and options and I'm loving it, man. I'm excited to share more about my personal findings in future episodes. If you have any questions, whether it's on reloading or anything else, send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com and we will do our best to help you out on future episodes. Talk to you soon.